All right, so Mark chapter 3, starting verse 1. Another time he went into the synagogue, he meaning Jesus, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those, who, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. So that is our passage for this morning. Bella has some very insightful thoughts for us already that she has just shared. Uh, yeah, a couple of things just, I think, to note from the text, uh, some of the things that are happening. Like, Jesus clearly is not afraid to make a scene. Um, in this, we have two little stories. Again, we talked yesterday how what Mark does is he strings together a bunch of stories. Um, they tend to be very short, um, and it's all chronological. It happened in this order. This is the base of, like, the other three Gospels. Um, this was the most widely circulated account of um, the Gospels, or the, uh, the narrative account of Jesus, as it was Peter's account. Um, so we have two very short stories today. One is this guy who's got the shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Jesus tells him to stand up in front of everyone. I feel a little bad for the guy. Um, because he's like, hey, you over there. <laughs> With the weird hand. With the weird hand, please stand up. Um, but I, it's interesting. Like, you, you see, like, what it is that these, uh, these people around him in the synagogue are doing. They're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, verse 2. So they watched him closely because they'd heard that he heals on the Sabbath, which for a lot of people who were very conservative religious people was a big no-no. Um, that was, you don't heal people on the Sabbath. And I really, I thought verse 5 was a really, really good one. Uh, He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. Um, Like you have three different like descriptions of emotion in this one little verse. So you have Jesus who's very angry at the situation, Um, not just that he finds himself in, but like the system of the situation um, that has produced like a group of people who are supposed to be devout to God and are like, no, we don't want you to heal this person. Like just the, like the righteous anger in this particular situation. Um, He's deeply distressed. Um, And then the last one is their stubbornness of their hearts. Um, Like that stubbornness, the, the, the Greek word there is it's talking about like the insensitivity of their heart. Um, that like the uh, like sort of like a synonym to it would be like the rock hardness, like the fact that like their hearts can't bend and see like like anyone would want this man. Like if you're human, you want this man's hand to be healed and you don't care what day of the week it is because you know that it is of God. 
to heal this person's hand. It is ridiculous. And that's like the dis- like Jesus is like experiencing all of these differing emotions, which I think is just really interesting. Anger at like the situation that he finds himself in and the situation that humanity finds himself in, particularly the people of God. And then distress for the individuals sitting in front of him who are like the fact that they find themselves in this situation and they are like they are less human because their hearts are this hard. Um, and he's distressed by it. Like he's like, I, like um, it's a, one of the interesting things about some of these words is that they go deeper than the English can describe fully. Um, and so like we deeply distressed, like we have a picture of it, but like the deepness of what this word is trying to get at, like the, like it's the painful ache of a heart that is like, this is what your life is like. And it just hurts me to see it. Um, so he's, he's angered by the situation. Um, he's distressed for the people in the situation, even though they're causing him anger. So you see like, he's got dueling emotions, not maybe not dueling, like they're opposites, but like complex emotions that are happening. Because of like the insensitivity, the hardness, the like the stone-like version of their hearts, um, and then he says, "Stretch out your hand." Um, it's interesting, and I think I think as leaders, this is something that we like we need to regularly go back to. Is we can recognize like all the complexities of a situation, and we can recognize that there might be consequences. Um, if we take a particular action, that does not mean we shouldn't do it. Um, in this situation, it would have been much, much, much easier on Jesus to not heal him. Uh, but like, if we, we keep coming back to this, so, like if love is fighting for the highest possible good in the life of another, regardless of what it might cost us, he has to say, stretch out your hand, but it will cost him. And eventually, like these things add up, right? Like it eventually costs him his life. Um, and it probably wasn't this one thing. It was probably like all of the things together. Um, but I think that's in many ways, like that's the point. Like it's not like if he doesn't do this one thing, it's more likely that he doesn't, do, he doesn't do the thing after that. He won't do the thing after that or the thing after that. And it ends up not costing him his life. And it ends up that we're not sitting in this room. Um, for Jesus, it was like in every situation, I'm fighting for the highest possible good of these people and this specific person. Now that can be incredibly difficult to navigate. And we see that there's only one person in the history of humanity who was able to navigate it perfectly. And that was Jesus. Um, Second thing to notice from this passage is verse six. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, how they might kill Jesus, which we could easily glaze over. Um, What that verse is describing is I want you to imagine all of the people who love Hillary Clinton and all of the people who love Donald Trump. And both of those people get together and decide that they're going to like each other enough to kill someone. That is exactly what's happening here. Like you have like as far right as you get and as far left as you get coming together, both politically and religiously coming together. And the only thing that they have in common is a desire to kill Jesus. And they've decided to work together. Um, And oftentimes what you see, if we're going to live in the tension of fighting for the highest possible good, is you're going to anger everyone on every side. Not all the time, um, but that is sometimes the result of what happens. And that is not different than what happened with Jesus.
Um, we've got this other story here where the crowds are following Jesus. He's healing a bunch of people. They're crowding him. It's getting difficult for him to teach. He regularly goes into boats so that he can teach or to like prevent mass crowding. Um, one of the reasons for that is the way that like the place that he's at in the, the boat that he's sitting on, it, it performs like a natural amphitheater. So what the water does, um, because it's the water and the waves aren't super loud, what it does is it projects his voice. Um, so you can actually go to the place that it's describing right here and you can do that thing and you can see like you can actually be heard pretty far out. Um, but in this particular situation, it seems the issue was that like they are just like almost to the point of crushing Jesus because they're crowding around him. Um, I think the thing that is most interesting, however, is verse 11 and 12. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. And the they that he's referring to, but he gave them, excuse me, the them that it's referring to is not the people who are being afflicted by the demons. It's the demons. He's telling the demons not to tell who he was. Um, So one of the things that you see in all of the gospels is like this progression of like people coming to see who Jesus actually is. So we see this in Mark 16, or excuse me, Matthew 16, where Jesus asks, his disciples like, hey, who do people say that I am? He's like, yeah, some people say Moses, other people Elijah, one of the prophets. Jesus is like, well, who do you think that I am? And you see like what it takes for people to see who Jesus is, is for the Father to give them the ability to see who he is. Um, but what Jesus is ultimately very concerned about is that they see him, if they're going to see who he is, that they would see him in the timing that the Father has laid out. The issue with the demons here is that they have known Jesus since the beginning of time. They've already had the revelation, and they rejected it. Like, they already know who Jesus is. They've known since the, before the creation of the world. And so we have this picture in the Old Testament of, like, a third of, like, the angels being thrown out of heaven because they rejected the revelation. And so Jesus is like, you will not thwart, even on a very small level, I forbid you to thwart what my father is doing. And that's what he's doing. He is shutting them down because they are in, in a very small way. It seems very small. Um, they're trying to thwart what it is that the father is doing simply by saying, like, he's the son of God. And Jesus is like, I don't like there is a order and a way to which people will know who I am. And I refuse to let people I refuse to let anything thwart like the progression of what it is that the father is doing. So it's, again, it's interesting. We talked a little bit about this yesterday, and we'll probably talk about it most days, is what Jesus is able to do is to have a, a perfect understanding of exactly what it is that the Father is doing and how the Father is working and joining him in that exact moment. And so one of the things that we talked about Sunday is what it, what it looks like for us to be a disciple um, is to learn to access that living water inside of us. So like we're accessing the power of the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us, um, and learning to live in step with what that spirit is doing at all times and in all ways. And that will be something that we all learn like for the rest of our life. You will never perfect it like Jesus did, um, but you can grow in that. And so today, one of the things that we want to grow in is like, what would it look like for me to know what it is that the Father is doing at all times and in all ways? What would it look like for me to have the courage that in all situations I'm willing to fight for the highest possible good, even if it's going to cost me something?